Hello everybody and welcome back to the Glory Glory Podcast. I'm your host as always, Kyle Quinn. And joining me today is a special guest, Phil De Bruyne from Beyond the Pitch. And we're going to discuss the potential takeover of the club and also look at any potential options to replace Ericsson, who sustained an injury against Reading and a few other topics. So, Phil, it's great to have you back on the show. How are you going, mate? Oh, good, mate. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so, let's get into it. Um, United is is up for sale. Um, the, the process is ongoing. Uh, Jim Radcliffe has put his hat in the ring. Um, nobody else has gone public with their interest yet. So, what's the latest from your point of view in, in terms of the potential takeover? God help anyone that's listening to this that listens to me in my other podcast. <laughs> this is going to seem really repetitive. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, look... As I was saying on my own podcast, I think it's interesting that Jim Ratcliffe went public, something he didn't do when he was trying to buy Chelsea. Um, depends on who you ask as to why he did that. Um, Andy Mitten was saying that uh, Matt Dickinson at the Times, I think it was, who spoke to him, um, said he did that and he feels like he did that so that um, he could entice other individuals who wanted bid for United as part of a consortium um, to the table. Um, depending on who you speak to will tell you that Jim Ratcliffe's bid has been a bit chaotic I don't know what they mean by that um, I also don't really buy into these stories about United being irate that Jim Ratcliffe because he isn't intending to meet their buy price or anything that's nonsense um, <clears throat> United aren't forced to sell to anybody with a derisory offer so why would they sell to Jim Ratcliffe if it was a derisory offer so um, you know anyone can bid what they want it's really irrelevant. So I think um, <clears throat> for United, it's, um, you know, there's obviously interest. I don't see any potential of a partial investment, given that the reason why they need investment is because they run the football club into the ground. Um, so I, I think um, I think for United, uh, th- there'll be a full takeover. It's a football club losing £2 million a week. Um, there's obviously interest domestically from Jim Ratcliffe and others. Um, I would expect the football club will be sold 100% by by April, May, <clears throat> um, somewhere around that. The, the deadline, of course, uh, whether this is actually a hard deadline or not, whether it's something the Rain Group would like to enforce, but maybe um, it's more arbitrary than definitive, um, is mid-February, of course, for bids. Um, but... Uh, I'm sure if they got a bid the day after that, it was about ten million or a billion or two above what their asking price was, they take it. So, um, but given United's current financial predicament, a football club has to get sold. So, who do you think is the most likely consortium to take over? Do you think it'll be Jim, as most fans want, or do you think it's more likely to be someone from the Middle East or America? Um. I think if the Middle East are interested, they'll, they'll, they'll buy the football club ahead of someone like Jim Ratcliffe, who is appraising United at a whole different level, who wants to pay a sensible price, not a ridiculous price. If the Glazers can't get sufficient interest from the Middle East, then they will sell to Jim Ratcliffe. Um, but I think their preference would be to sell to the Middle East because I think they want a stupid price, which no one's been willing to meet. 
at this point. <clears throat> There's a misconception that just because people are from the Middle East, they're just going to throw more stupid money about. They really don't. And they're certainly not going to have their pants pulled down by a bunch of Westerners. So um, I think, um, you know, if, if they can entice sufficient interest, and I'm told there is interest, whether it's interest that the price the glazers want, that's another thing from the Middle East, but whether they can entice that interest, uh, if they can, then I think um, they th that's who will end up opening it. Owning it will go to a Middle Eastern uh, oil state. I know this is really boring, but... How high do you think uh, Jim is willing to go, and how high do you think our Middle Eastern consortium is willing to go? It's impossible to say, but you know, throughout this entire process, Jim Ratcliffe has talked repeatedly about making sure that you know appraised property and the sensible price is paid. So I don't see Jim going to some stupid, ridiculous number to own Manchester United. So, <clears throat> um, and again, you know, are highly distressed business that has to be sold so unless you're competing against somebody else that's willing to do stupid things to buy the football club there's really no need to go to exorbitant levels because the club will have to get sold anyway um, so <laughs> it really all depends on how much interest there is in it but um, I, I don't think Jim Ratcliffe would go above 5 billion yeah and I don't think he should either I, I... I personally hope that the Glazers they don't get what they want, that it goes for a, a relatively you know, mediocre fee. You know, obviously, relatively speaking, because you know, 4.25 billion, whatever, what Chelsea went for, is obviously a large sum of money. But I hope the Glazers don't get you know the 7 billion mark. I hope it is only about 4 billion. But the main thing is that they go and never come back. That's the most important thing. And and obviously, after that, it has to be you know responsible owners. Um, are a lot more responsible than the Glaciers. We don't want uh, the Glaciers Mark II. Uh, you, you've mentioned on your own show about the potential for a, you know, a private equity firm coming in. That is the last thing we want, isn't it? Well, if you're going to invest in Manchester United, you have to uh, first ask why they need investment. And the only answer to that question is grotesque financial mismanagement. So investment companies want to return on their money, why would you give the Glazers more money to do exactly the same thing? Because you'll find yourself in exactly the same position 10 years from now. It's not a, really an issue if the Glazers run out of money. It's the Glazers having a really ridiculous business plan that didn't work out. So even if they dilute their ownership, um, that's going to come at a cost because in the past they've only been willing to do... Um, uh, the type of shares that don't give you voting rights, Class B shares that don't give you voting rights, and how the football club is run, um, they're going to have to surrender that because that money comes with contingencies, and one of the contingencies is going to be we're going to help run this football club so we can guarantee a return for our investors. They're not giving free money. Um, you know, there's the issue with the Glazer family siblings. You know, do they want to dilute their ownership and say, okay, I tell you what, Darcy. <clears throat> You own 30% of Manchester United. Right now, that's appraised at, I don't know, oh, 300 million, just for talk's sake. Dilute that, reinvest the money back into Manchester United, and maybe you get more five years from now. I don't think they're going to do that. So uh, I don't see any potential for that. So just finally on this topic, when do you think the sale will be completed by? You know, by Easter, do you think, or be later than that? Well, if, they, if, if they're accepting the deadline for mid for bids is mid-February, realistically, by the time you do due diligence and get 
proved in the Premier League and all that. You're looking, you know, took Chelsea a couple of months, so it'll be a few months from February, so April, May is realistic. Um, if you need it or not sold by April, May, it's because there's not sufficient interest in it. But we already know there's potential buyers in the background, so, um, yeah, I think April, May. There's been plenty of talk about United having to comply with FFP rules, especially if they don't make the Champions League this season, but it looks like we will, uh, fingers crossed, um, because of years and years of spending lots of money on players and not recuperating a lot of money in sales. Is that true? Because the thing with FFP for me that, that annoys me is that certain clubs don't seem to have to comply with it and other clubs do. So... I just don't think that that United should even bother complying with it. What's your thoughts on it all? <clears throat> well, we haven't had any legal teeth for a long time with FFP. United have really, really good connections at UEFA through David Gill and, of course, their previous communications director, uh, Phil Townsend, works there. Um, they'll be well aware of um, if they're sailing close to the wind. I think it's a convenient excuse right now. Um, I think there's a million other ways around it, <clears throat> if you really, really want it. Um, so, you know, I've heard from people that it would be an issue even if you need to get bought, because the income ratio versus debt ratio is too high. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a financial expert, but uh, it would seem to me that given how Chelsea are operating, it would be a bit silly to put restrictions on United this summer. If they get bought, I think what will also happen is a number of players would get sold for <clears throat> prices that United probably wouldn't have sold up before um, because that income is no longer contingent upon or, or, or related to how much you get to spend. So I think like some Maguire, you'd have a you'd have maybe five or six players in that United first team that would get sold this summer. Um, so I, I don't see it being a major impediment. I mean, one, one minute they're talking about Harry Kane, and the next minute they're talking about FFP, I think by the, by the summer it'll be completely irrelevant. <clears throat> yeah, you will. Todd Burley is, is, is found loopholes with FFP. Um, you know, the length of the contracts that they're handing out is, is insane. That's certainly one way around it. But uh, it just annoys me that the, the likes of, and you know this yourself, that the likes of City and PSG, have just completely went unpunished with FAP. It's it's there's arguably it's not enforceable. We know that City and UEFA went to court over this and, and City won. So yeah, uh, it, just, it just seemed pointless to me now. It's it's totally defunct. Um so I don't see why United should worry about it. Um so a discussion there just you brought up something that which uh, leads me to ask you this question, which is obviously a very, a very important question. If the club is taken over in the spring, which we all hope it is, do you think the new owners will clear the debt immediately? Well, uh, that's part of what the Glazers are asking for as part of the sale. So you can't acquire an asset if the debt isn't paid off. Because essentially that debt means that the lenders own part of Manchester United. So everyone's got to get paid. So there's no... I, I, I mean... I'm sure uh, uh, the banks would be happy to, to, for new owners just to pay off the interest. But if you're going to assume someone else's debt, <clears throat> you know, that'll be renegotiated, everything else. So um, the Glazers won't be paying that. But if you're going to buy Manchester United and you can't afford to pay off the debt, 
as part of the acquisition, you can't afford to buy Manchester United. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And normally, when clubs do get bought over and there's debt involved, the new owner does to clear the debt uh, in, during the process of buying the club. So it looks like that's going to happen here, and that, that'll be good news for all of us. Because going forward, we want to see the club's revenue being used every summer on buying new players, not going towards dividends and debt and interest. Well, it has to be a use for the for the betterment of the football club beyond buying new players because you know you can do a Leeds and totally waste. I'm talking about investment in infrastructure, investment back in ticket prices, investment back in other aspects of being a football fan that makes it affordable. You know, so it'd be nice to see United use that to do more community work. To do maybe I'm living in fantasy land. I don't know, um, but um, you know. There's a million other ways other than just spending on players, and I understand what. But see, th this whole mindset is really an issue because this is really why most people want a Middle Eastern consortium or a Middle Eastern uh, individual team of the football club, not because for any other reason than they can play football manager every every window. You know, and I I wouldn't want that United what's going on with Chelsea. But do you want someone in come and tell him Ten Hag what players he has to sign? No. I wouldn't. No. You know, that, so we be careful with that mindset. I, that reminds me of something else. Um, normally when a new owner comes in, he wants to appoint his own man in the dugout. I hope that doesn't happen at United. I hope the new owner keeps Ten Hag in the dugout. That's very important because he's making huge progress. Yeah, I think uh, whoever buys United will have the benefit of being able to calibrate this feel the the sense of sentiment amongst fans already you know you, it's not going to be a shock as the things that matter to them i mean this guy's just won a a, a conflict with cristiano ronaldo so it'd be very surprising if he bought united and didn't realize that ten Hag's extremely popular amongst united fans and to not get rid of him uh you'd be an idiot okay so moving on a wee bit now i'm going to come to jack green's comment here he says any news of a signing a midfielder and there's only about 24 hours of the window left and we've seen christian erickson sustain an injury against reading thanks to andy carl's challenge which wasn't his only lucas challenge in that game so is there any potential for united to get another loan signing in here before the window shuts well, there's always a potential, um, but the question is whether they get a, a signing in that's actually good enough to where, um, you know, they're, they're a capable deputy to Casemiro or a capable deputy or Christian Eriksen or what have you. That's debatable. Um, as I pointed out earlier in the show, you know, United are losing two million a week according to um, <clears throat> the uh, United We Stand podcast, the Talk of Devils, which one I can't remember, which one, I think it was the Talk of Devils one, and they mentioned it on. Um, you know, that's a hundred million a year, circa. So I don't know where the money's coming from. I think if you had the money, they'd do it, 100%. Um, I know Telemans has been linked. Um, I think he'd be a good signing. Um, but at this point, who is the bank lending the money to? You know, I mean, it's a, it, it, it was, it's not like you need to have the money to pay for this. I mean, they're they're asking. They they wanted Malo Gusto. To don't want him to wait, which is not a great sign for we're saying a sign for Juan Bissaka. Um <clears throat> but he didn't want to wait. So I think um, it'd be hard to see where the money's coming from to fund the new signing. I mean, United needed a midfielder for a while. Um, 
I just I, I don't see what I, it's possible to get a loan deal, but I I wouldn't be uh, be I wouldn't I wouldn't be excited about it. I don't think it'll be something that'll come in and make major 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 impact on the first team. I, I, that money's just not there. Hey, Jay Green says Gravenberch. I know he's the obvious one, of course. But look, Gravenberch hasn't played. I don't think he's played a game for Bayern Munich or very very little. And that is the question. You know, is he good enough? You know. It's almost like a Van de Beek situation at Bayern. I know Bayern have an exception on their feet. But, <clears throat> you know, really is, is is a guy who hasn't played all season ready to come and hit the ground running because that's really what this is about. You need to be able to... Like, this is the thing about Vegors. Vegors hasn't got time to settle. Vegors has to settle now. So does he have time to come in and, and uh, get fit? By the time he gets fit, makes an impact on the first team. Could be... March before he does that, so I don't know. I, I think that uh, if you can get someone like Tiedemans whose contract's up in six months, then why not? <clears throat> that would be make more sense to me. Yeah, I'd like that saying. Uh, Mark Anthony Murphy says you bring back Honorable Mabry. Would you? Is that no, even possible? It, it seems I'm odd. When you're playing every week at the championship, the development that he's going to get in the next six months. He's going to be a better player if he needed six months from now, having benefited staying at Birmingham, than what he would be if he came and played a bit part role at the at the football club for the next six months. Yeah, some fans are very ego are very, you know, eager to recall Mad uh, from Sunderland in the January window, and I can understand that point of view. But um, like you say, you know, he's going to benefit from the development of playing a, a full season in the championship and starting every single game, uh, which he hasn't had so far. Uh, be there United or Rangers or, or Atalanta. So uh, I think Ahmad will come back a better player in the summer and hopefully he can then challenge the likes of Anthony for that right wing berth. Um, but yeah, what about long term? Obviously, Ericsson and Casemiro have been terrific signings, but they're both coming 31 next month. We obviously want to sign a, a younger midfielder in the summer. Um, who who United looking at in, in in terms of that market? It's back then about what United are going to do as summer. It's <laughs> impossible. Because we yeah. don't know who's writing the checks. And that's going to determine who their targets are. So, um, and worrying about long-term contingencies to Casemiro. Uh, I mean, I think Real Madrid did a really good job doing that. But bringing in next to many come of England, what have you. <clears throat> but... Real Madrid are miles ahead of United in terms of squad. I mean, United have to get the first 11 right before you worry about the second 11. So, um, I think uh, this is these are hard positions to fill because really good young players want to play. You can't bring experienced players in because they don't want to sit on the bench. So, the second backup spot is, is very hard to do. It's hard to fill. You usually fill that with good young players. So, my guess is that come the summer... And I can see United looking more in the South American market as well, because Ten Hag did that at Ajax. Um, they'll target young players. <clears throat> Somebody said uh, on social media earlier on that Cisco is a free agent, and, and that's something that United could <laughs> bring in for East six Go. months. Isco, sorry, what are we talking about? Isco, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really see that happening, do you? No. Um, I think um, <clears throat> it would all depend on how bad Ericsson's injury is and we're supposed to get an update on that today or tomorrow whatever um, but um, no I, I, I don't see that happening no I don't either so 
United have been going really well. Even the defeat against Arsenal filled me full of optimism because Arsenal are the best team in the league. United pushed them all the way without their best player. So I wasn't even that downbeat about that defeat. And apart from that, United have been going brilliantly since the World Cup. Um, so it, Ten Hag has exceeded expectations. You know, back in the summer, I'd have been happy with finishing in the top six, providing that Ten Hag was showing progress. But it looks like we're, we're going to finish top four. Uh, and potentially win a trophy, um, and we're we're almost there in terms of the Carabao Cup final. Um, we'll be playing either Newcastle or Southampton. You'd think probably Newcastle. It'll be a tough game. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, if we if you'd told us back in May, given how disastrous it was, that by next February we'd be in a in a League Cup final, we'd have bitten your hand off, wouldn't we? I think you'd have taken less than that. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, look, it all depends on how well we can stay clear of injuries going into the second half of the season because the drop-off when they get injuries is massive. You know, Casemiro and um, McTominay, or Casemiro and Eriksen didn't play against Charlton. United couldn't break them down until they came on. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the team is tomorrow night against Forest. But, um, yeah, they, they, they have to be lucky with injuries. Yeah, definitely. And uh, according to Jake, uh, Isco has agreed to join Union Berlin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, so, any news? Uh, you probably don't know any more than me on this topic, but uh, regards to Christian Eriksen's injury, is there any news on, on the length of time he may be out? No, there's been nothing released on that yet. Certainly not. That was about half an hour ago, so... <clears throat> um... When players leaving on crutches, it doesn't look good. Obviously, it's precautionary too. He has a boot on. Um, concerning. The first thing I noticed him doing when he got hit by Andy Carroll was him tweaking his ankle and his foot. Um, really hoping it's not some type of a metatarsal injury where you're looking at six, seven weeks. And then another couple of weeks before he gets fit again. If that's the case, if Erickson's out for that length of time, then I don't care what you need to have to do, but they have to get a midfielder. Their season depends on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know you've talked about this yourself on social media, and so have I. I cannot believe that Andy Carroll didn't even get a yellow card for his lunge on Ericsson. Eventually, he was sent off for the tackle on Casemiro. And then even worse than that was Fabinho not getting sent off for that horror tackle in, in the Brighton game. These, these, I don't know, see the VAR... Who, who reviewed that and just recommended the yellow card. Uh, I, he's he's incompetent, to say the least. Uh, I don't want to you know, come out and say that someone should lose their job, but it, the, these officials are very poor, aren't they? Well, it's terms like this where officials should be made to explain their decisions. You know, I mean, I'm looking at this and it's... I mean, they've nuanced these rules so much, they've made the referee's life difficult, but this wasn't a difficult, nuanced decision. I mean, Fabinho had the face of a guilty party. Evan Ferguson is very lucky. I assume I haven't heard what the status is, but he could be out, he could have been out for a long, long time. The, the implications of that are massive. Bournemouth just sold, or Brighton just sold Trossard. For 27 million, they lose a young player. Um, and Fabinho doesn't get sent off. Now, Jurgen Klopp has been quite vocal in the past about tackles on Salah and some of his players and <clears throat> about players needing to be protected and what have you. He's been quite vocal about VAR decisions that have gone against him. Um, but I've noticed he was very quiet after the Wolves game. 
and I noticed he was very quiet about it was some mealy mouthed oh mate it's not cool if he did it but I don't know if he did it because I still haven't seen it once you know that is shit um, you know some mealy mouthed nonsense uh, it was a disgraceful tackle but what's more disgraceful is that he wasn't sent off because this is precedent so when someone does this next week they've every right to ask why am I being sent off and he wasn't right I mean when you look at the goal that Rashford didn't have was, was disallowed the weekend and the one that was given at Wolves it's an absolute disgrace it's a joke <clears throat> yeah that was very disappointing uh, great assist from, from Whitehurst for the, the goal that wasn't given but you know, he's just marginally offside Whitehurst has had quite an impact so far uh, his, his link up play is excellent um, he would probably be better with his feet than he is with his head. Everybody thought he was just going to be a big lump up front. He was going to get flick-ons, but he's much more than that. Um, I don't think he's going to score a bucket loads of goals. But he need to. Because Andy Martial doesn't have a body can stand up to the rigours of professional football. And if Vegas doesn't no. score close to 10 goals, United will struggle to finish top four. Well, I hope that he does. Um, we're, kept, we're really reliant on Rashford at the minute for goals. Right. Bruno, Bruno's starting to score again, which is positive. Um, so, yeah, hopefully Whitehurst can get somewhere between 8 and 10 goals. But um, he's doing he's doing really well. Uh, and I would advocate for him staying on as long as we sign a superstar striker as well. Like, did you see Victor Osman's goal last night for Napoli against Roma? That was a world-class. Uh, if we could get... Someone like him in, then we really will be challenging for the league next season, won't we? Right, me a bit of Brilliant goal. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it's, the names being linked are Osman, Kane, uh, Benjamin, Sesko, uh, and then the, who's the other one again? Uh, Vlaovic, because uh, Juve, as you know, are in a bit of trouble at the moment uh, financially. So. United could potentially get Vlaovic maybe a wee bit cheaper than you'd expect. So, yeah, United absolutely have to get uh, a number nine. He's going to score 25 goals, don't they? Yeah, they've needed that for a while. And I don't think they're going to tackle Vlaovic because he's a bit cheaper. You know, when the new owners come in, um, that can't be the criteria for selecting a striker. Those are all very different forwards. They serve very different positions. You know, listen to Mourinho talk about Russell Menton. He's, he's at the same level drop. What was that? Um, and of course, he you know they beat Roma at the weekend, so I don't think um, I you know Sesco and Kane completely different forwards. Um, one you know is a giant, you know, so well maybe if he keeps Weghorst, who's a six foot six striker, he won't look for another tall striker. Um, I, I because obviously you know Weghorst gives you something different tactically. Um, all depends on how he does between now and the end of the season. He's available for a decent price um, at the end of the season, less than ten million. So it's a good opportunity for him, and I think in some sense that's part of what's going to be interesting with Veghorst is listen, here's an opportunity for you to earn yourself a contract at one of the biggest football clubs in the world. He'll be given everything between now and the end of the season. It's an amazing incentive. Um and uh yeah, and with the fitness of Anthony Marshall, he's become very important. Yeah, I I think uh, Osman would be ideal. It seems to be most people in the comments are, are, are agreeing with that. The, the only reason why I wouldn't go for Harry Kane 
is because it would because of Daniel Levy, it would it would probably drag on the thirty first of August, and I just cannot be bothered with that. I want to get the signing in as soon as possible, in, in June or July. You know, Daniel Levy will try and bleed every penny he can out of the club. And and was it Alex Ferguson said dealing with Levy was more painful than a hip replacement? You know, over the whole Berbatov saga. So apart from that, yeah, I'd be on board with getting Harry Kane. Imagine a top form Harry Kane with. Rashford in his current form playing together. I mean, that would be unbelievable. Uh, I don't think it will send Harry Kane. Yeah, well, he's he'd be one of those players. One of my mates who even supports Arsenal keeps saying that I can see Kane in a, in a red shirt someday at Old Trafford. I think it's going to happen. And he's saying again that it's going to happen in the summer. But yeah, uh, the, and one of the reasons why I would prefer Osman is because he's younger and we get more years out of him. Um, I think you said that yourself, didn't you? You'd rather have Osman than Kane? I would. Um, I think, I mean, Harry Kane would score goals for you, there's no doubt. I mean, he's a world-class striker, but um, I don't see that happening. I, I, I don't see him going to United. Obviously, he wanted to leave Spurs over a year ago. It's a big decision for him to stay. Whether he stays or not, that's up to him. Um, but I, you know, I, I read an article yesterday that made me laugh hysterically. It's a Daily Star on Sunday. I mean, not exactly the <clears throat> um, most. Um, <laughs> not, not, I, I want to be careful kind of with my words here, but um, not exactly a parable of honesty. Um, but um, <laughs> I say King could cost me up to three hundred million. I'm going. Who, who who did this? Who wrote this? And then who published <laughs> it? And who felt that this had any correspondence with reality? I mean. Three hundred million. What? <laughs> they must have been including his his wages across a, a five year contract, and that just That's to absurd. blow the figure up and make it more dramatic. Um, so a few comments here. Uh, Mad Ting says it's a major uh, delusion that any of us can ever consider the possibility that Napoli will sell the most important player after winning the Scudetto. After he wins the Skidetto with Napoli, where else can he go with that club apart from maybe winning the Champions League? But he'll go, he'll go, he'll go to play for, you know, with, with all the greatest amount of respect, a bigger club that will pay him more money. I, I, I can see. I know. Yes, they paid. Well, Napoli's a massive football club, and if you're winning Skidettos and winning the Champions League, you don't have a reason to go anywhere else. Um, whether they'll win the Champions League with Napoli, Napoli, I don't know. Um, brilliant football club, you know. Massive st- stadium, massive support, football mad city. Um, there's a lot of good reasons to stay at Napoli, but they usually sell their best strikers. I mean, Cavani, you can go through, you know, there's tons of them. You can go through um, the, the, a list of number of players that Napoli sold that, um, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me to see Osman go. Um, De Laurentiis is not stupid. You know, he's similar to Daniel Levy that he gets top dollar for his players. Um, they usually sell one or two every year and um, with UV in the position that they're in doesn't leave him a lot of options in Italy um, so I think um, I think he's gettable but won't be cheap yeah because they paid 80 million euro for him from Lille so they're, they're going to ask uh, transfer by call. the way that's under investigation because it's allegedly inflated but we'll see what happens that aside, obviously he's going to cost more than that to come to Old Trafford. He's probably going to be in the 120 million euro mark, 
I would say. Um, yeah, and you're right, Shu, they sold K- uh, Koulibaly to Chelsea as well. Didn't they sell uh, Hamshik too? So somebody said here they're not uh, a selling club by any means. But Well, they're not a selling club in, a, in like an Ajax or, or someone like an RB Leipzig or something like that. There. I mean, they, they don't they don't buy players for the purpose of developing and selling them. I mean, they've, they're a well-funded football club and... Um, you know the so usually like I mean, as you were pointed out, Koulibaly. I mean, no one could touch Koulibaly for years. It took it, it took Koulibaly a good few years to get it there, and um, you know, it, it, and it, so it'll not be an easy transfer, and there'll be more than just United interest in him. It all depends on where United finish. Um, I do think United will finish top four, um, but um, you know, if if Liverpool get bought. There'll be a lot of suitors for that guy, and um, Chelsea. I'm sure will throw their hat in the ring. You know they're trying to, to go after big players, um, so that's the type of transfer that would take months. So, if United don't get bought till May, June, somewhere like that, there, I I would be very surprised if a deal like that would happen. And twelve A here says we get the right offer for Rashford, and he's a goner. No players unsellable. I don't think this is the time to be discussing selling Rashford given the form he's in. We need to be tanning him down to a five-year contract. Um, yes, I agree that no player is unsellable, but you want if, if you've got a, a superstar who's buying in form, you want to tie him down. You don't want to be selling them, especially a club like United. So, I take I take it you're full of confidence, Phil, that Rashford will sign a new deal. Well, I, I think that for him, this is his best form at United. I mean. Before he signed the last two contract, him and his brother was talking to PSG. They do like him. Tuchel really liked him. Um, he was a manager at PSG before, um, but I think um, given United's current position, given what's going on at the football club, and it's a good position for Rashford to be in that he didn't negotiate this contract six months ago, because now he's worth a lot more, and um, I I think Ten Hag's getting the best out of him. I think. For Rashford, you know he's a Manchester boy from Wisenshaw. Um, you know, he, he, I would be very surprised if if he did not sign a new contract. I don't see any way that doesn't happen. Yeah, it seems very very likely. Um, so someone who's expected to be back in the squad very soon. I actually thought he would make an appearance against Reading is Jaden Sancho. Um, I think Anthony needs competition for his place. He's playing every game at the moment. He's come in for a lot of criticism from fans for not using his right foot, not going down the line, eh, being too predictable with his play. So Sancho would certainly add something different. Um, if we could get, you know, peak Sancho playing alongside peak Rashford, that would be something. So uh, I take it you're looking forward to, to seeing uh, Sancho coming back, but I have to be honest, uh, we can't expect big things right away. He's obviously going to need time to recover his form and fitness. It wouldn't surprise me if he needed to try to use Sancho in the same role that Ericsson plays. Um, because I think there's question marks about his pace and whether he's capable of playing as a left winger. Um, because he's very different from Garnacho, he's very different from, uh, you know, uh, Rashford plays on the left. Um, whether he's capable of playing out there, I don't, I, 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 in the way Ten Hag wants to play, I don't know. Um, all his goals came from central positions this season, so it wouldn't surprise me to see United try to play him centrally. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, but uh, I, I don't think 
Uh, I know I know Ten Hag has played Dejan Tadic uh, through the middle, but he seems to favour you know, a, a big striker uh, if, if he has one available. Um, so I suppose Sancho could play number 10, you know, as a second striker as well. So, yeah. yeah um, if we're not able to replace Ericsson in the transfer market, he is going to have to think outside the box, uh, Ten Hag. So that, that could be an option. Uh, somebody in the comments says Kobe Menu, but I think you couldn't expect him to come in and replace Ericsson. You no, know, Ericsson plays almost every game. Menu's only 17 and still developing. He will get game time, but you can't expect him to replace Ericsson you know, between now and May. I think, yeah, I think he'll get um, 90 minutes against Forrest. Um, you know, if you're playing for United 17, you're a special talent. Um, but, you know, Solitaire, he played at 17, 16, I think it was 17, Enzo Gomez, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to become your first team player, but, I think Ten Hag's forced to make decisions like this because he needs those players to emerge because most likely they'll not be able to get them in the market. So I think that's partly why the likes of Kabimene will get 90 minutes against, or certainly start the game anyway, um, so that he can get a glimpse against Premier League opposition in a game where you really should be able to go on and win it comfortably or at least not lose it the way you would go out. Um, if some of the fringe players go, out, go play against Forest and don't play up that level, then you know they're not ready. Um, so I think that this is a great opportunity for Ten Hag to look at some of these young players and see how they do against Premier League opposition. Do you think Garnacho and Palestri will start the game on Wednesday yeah. night? Uh, I think Garnacho will. I'm not certain about uh, Palestri, but uh, I think Garnacho will. Yeah, I'd love to see Garnacho get more game time. I, I know he's been carefully managed uh, by Ten Hag, but he's just an exciting player. I'd love to he see him start games more games. On. When he comes on, he changes games. It, 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 you know, there's not... A lot of people that you can bring on the, the game, bring on the game, adjust the pace immediately and change it. Um, plus, he's great at exploiting tired, tired wingers or tired uh, fullbacks um, because he's so quick. So um, and skillful, obviously. So um, yeah, he, he's a game changer. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a lot more of the Fred and Casemiro partnership now that Ericsson's going to be unavailable for an unknown period. Um, they're obviously well accustomed to each other because they played together for Brazil. And, and Fred's uh, Casemiro's obviously been unbelievable. Him and Martinez have been incredible signings. But Fred has been decent this season, hasn't he? Well, I think everyone's been much better than what they were last season. They're playing Wouldn't a be hard. <laughs> well, they're playing a better team. They're playing for a manager that um, knows how to get the best out of them. But, I mean, he's a good squad player. Uh, I wouldn't want to rely on him every week. But... Um, you know, it gives United another tactical uh, uh, dimension. So he's very good at coming on, controlling games. Um, they need Casemiro to control tempo. But Fred is very, very good at cleaning up, setting up attacks. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, he's a really good squad player. And what about Casemiro's two quick goals against Reading? There was absolute quality. The... He's just watching a world-class football in his prime. I mean, just, we don't... We've been spoiled at United watching a lot of good players, but we've also had a lot of shit. And uh, we haven't seen anything like Casemiro in the team for years. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And who do you think? I think Maguire, McTominay and Martial will be amongst the players who will leave in the summer, in my opinion. So who do you think will replace Maguire's captain? Do you think it'll just be Bruno or do you think it could be Casemiro? I'm not certain that McTominay will go. Um, because <clears throat> McTominay offers United something that Ten Hag likes. If, if McTominay goes, it'll probably more be down to Scott McTominay wanting to leave to the regular football than Ten Hag wanting to boot him out. 
McTominay's height makes uh, him unique in some sense in that he helps Nader on set pieces. Um, I've seen Ten Hag throw him up front. Um, United are defending a game. They bring McTominay on when they're dealing, dealing with balls in a box. Um, so I think that he gives them something a bit different. Um, as far as Maguire, again, it'll be Maguire wanting to leave because he's not getting regular football, which is exactly the right thing to do. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons why I don't sell him in January is they, you know, they need to replace him. And the thing for Maguire is he's in a one fight. He's in a position with fight with Varane essentially and Lindelof for that right-footed centre-back position because when Martinez is injured, um, Ten Hag plays Shaw because he's left-footed. So um, you know, it's it's, a, it's a, an unbelievable demise for a guy that um, you know is a eighty million pound footballer, but it's the right thing and he he was massively overpriced he's not an 80 million pound footballer and <clears throat> like ten hog gave him the rope to hang himself you know and so i think um there's no more questions need to be asked about mcguire we know what he is and what he isn't i don't want to seem to criticized or abused but you know it's not for mcguire the other problem is the other two replacements that have come in have been so good that it's going to be really difficult to force his way back into a team on any consistent basis. And even if he did, he'd still be a bit unpopular with United fans because they'd miss the players they don't have. I mean, unless one of them get injured, I don't see him getting back in the team. Yeah, there's been a lot of interest <laughs> in Maguire and McTominay in the January window, but they're not going to leave because United can't afford to replace them at the moment. Um, so they'll stay on to the summer. So... Those those clubs that are interested in them right now might come back in for them in May. So well, definitely be able to sell them in May in the summer, no problems. Or we can't deal football clubs. It would take Scott McTominay and Harry Maguire. That wouldn't be an issue. Do you think Yuri Tillemans fits in with Ten Hag's style of play? What's your opinion on that? Um, you know, he's obviously a different player than Christian Eriksen. Um, so he, he's a bit more dynamic probably in Ericsson, a bit more energy, but not as creative. I think given everything that's available out there for the prices that that, that they're available and given what, you know, the resources they have available, he'd be a really, really good signing for United. Um, the, the thing is, is that you can't just sign him for six months though. You know, so oh. he should only be brought in unless Ten Hag sees a future for him beyond the summer. And he's not going to accept a six-month contract at his age. He's going to no, want a five-year deal. Of course. So, you know, that that really is the issue, is that, you know, for United, you can only bring him in if he, if he solves a problem three, four years. Would fans be happy if Telemans was brought in and then no other midfielder in the summer? I mean, I do think United need to bring a midfielder in now. <clears throat> um, and realistically, they don't have... The option of buying a, a you know, an Enzo Fernandez or someone like that. So all things being equal, I think he'd be a good signing for United, and I, and I would love to see it happen. By the way, I think James Madison is an excellent footballer, but it, he's not going to displace Bruno Fernandez. So there's no point in talking about that one. But Tillman's obviously plays a bit further back, so he would be an ideal signing because we need someone in that position. And you, know, what I love about Tillman's is his ability to score goals from distance. Um, I think he even scored one in the FA Cup final like that. So mm-hmm. he, 
that's no bad thing. Um, so if Ten Hag wants him, I'd be I'd be delighted to see him come. Either it's not going to happen in this window, let's be honest. But unless something amazing happens tomorrow, but uh, if he comes in the summer, that, that would be that'd be a really good signing. So it seems as if uh, Chelsea are going to spend the 120 million euro on Enzo Fernandez. Crazy, and buying them would be on the move. Probably Jack and Rice as well. So we could be in the market for these players. It's, it's hard to predict really who we're going to sign in the summer, like you said earlier, Castle. because. <clears throat> Because you don't know who's going to be writing the checks. Mm, um, well, there's plenty of midfielders out there anyway, that's for sure. Do you think that he'll give Fred an extension to his contract? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the rotation of that squad, before you deal with Fred, you need have many more immediate options. So, realistically, they're not going to go out and sign three midfielders this summer. You know, so you deal with replacing, in my opinion, Van der Beek over the summer. Um, and you get in a young midfielder and that can do what he was supposed to be brought in to do <clears throat> and you begin that transition and make sure they get plenty of games make sure they play games you know if you had you never had that player right now Christian Eriksen would have been rested in a lot more games um, so because mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty realistic but they don't so and it is a hard position to fill like I said because <clears throat> most really exceptional young players want to play every week um, same with an experienced player, and so it, it, it's not that easy to do. I mean, we, we talked about Ryan Gravenberch at, at Bayern, he's gone a really good young player at Ajax, hasn't played. You know, it's a really, really hard position to fill to get young players in that are good enough that you know the drop off isn't massive when you put them in. Well, Gravenberch fits the bill of another player that Ten Hag knows. Um, another Dutch player, uh, I think. Um, uh, even Waghurst, uh, I don't think he'd worked with Ten Hag before, but he's from like the same region of Holland as uh, as Ten Hag Twente. Um, so they had that in common. You know, Ten Hag he likes to go for his tried and trusted, and um, whenever he whenever he needs to. So it wouldn't surprise me if Gramberg came in tomorrow, but uh, I would say his he would prefer to fight for his place at, at Bayern Munich. So. Just finally, uh, the goalkeeper situation, are you happy for De Gea to stay on for another five years? Not another five years. I think, um, <clears throat> you know, with, with someone like De Gea, um, he's got strengths and weaknesses. And I, a lot of people focus on his weaknesses, which, you know, okay, it's, it's understandable to some degree. But And take his strengths for granted. With another goalkeeper... You may get somebody that's not as good at shot stopping, but better at the things that the hair weaker at. Does that mean that he'll end up the season a better player, but with more clean sheets? I don't know. I didn't see anyone at the World Cup where I felt massively, a massive upgrade on the hair. Saying this guy, so it's not obvious. No, it definitely isn't, and there's there's no one out there who who's uh, guaranteed to come in and be an improvement on the gear. Um, like I say, there'll be player, there'll be goalkeepers out there who'll be able to do the things that that De Gea can't necessarily, but they might be a weaker shot stopper. So it's a, it's one for the manager to decide, and I'll I'll back whatever decision he makes on that. Uh, I think Dean Henderson's United career is over now, especially after that Talksport well, interview. Definitely over. People also become really obsessed with this playing out from the back, right? And it's so <laughs> over fetishized. <laughs> there's really only a few times in a game you can actually do this properly when the ball is dead you're not playing out from the back 
because it's too easy. Teams will get set. They know how to how to how to how to, how to, take, how to break it down, how to press, and you're not going to do it. So you do it in the middle of games, and if you do it at the wrong time, you get caught out. It's a it's a it's a game plan that allows zero room for error, zero. And every single week in the Premier League, I see a team trying to play for the back get caught either through their goalkeeper or through a defender making a mistake and conceding a goal. So it, yes, it's important at certain times, but it's so overly fetishized that um, when the sweeper keeper, sweeper keeper, sweeper keeper, I don't, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I don't share that view. Do you know what nearly gives me a stroke is when. Martinez takes a goal kick to De Gea and then De Gea out to Shaw and then Shaw back to Varane and Varane out to uh, Wan-Bissaka and we're being pressed by the opposition. Every team though. I mean, every team watching their own team goes through that. So it, it's not an easy skill to execute. Also, that defensive midfield position, one of the reasons why Casemiro is so good is when you play diagonal balls into a defensive midfielder, they typically have their back to... Um, the opposition so they can't see what's behind them if you aren't technically perfect you will turn that ball over and I saw Scott McTominay do that a lot but I don't see Casemiro do that a lot yeah and, and there's times where the game plays it straight down the middle to the defensive midfielder we seen we conceded a goal against Brentford that way it's, very it's a very dangerous ball, ball to play mm-hmm. and nearly gives me a heart attack <laughs> wasn't it but it's been very enjoyable having you back on the show, Phil. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. Sorry, I got braces on my teeth from myself. Funny. <laughs> Didn't really notice, to be honest. <laughs> so if everyone could please subscribe to the channel, uh, drop us a like in the video, and get your comments in down below. And I'll see you again then, Phil. Yes, mate. Take it easy. Thanks, folks, for watching. Much appreciated. Take it easy. All right. See you later.